Welcome. I'm Pastor John, and you're listening to the Still Meadow Church of the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. Still Meadow Church of the Nazarene is a Bible-believing church located in York, Pennsylvania. Please be sure to check out our webpage, www.stillnaz.com, for ways to connect, watch, request prayer, and to give. In this brief series, we will use three stories from Exodus and one from Deuteronomy to invite families to consider how to make the love of God and the love of others the driving force for their household. Now to the sermon. So we're in this series um, on the household, right? We're in this series where we're looking at what it means to be households that build our lives on this person, Jesus Christ. And, And we recognize that no family, except for the Kyle family, is perfect. Gonna hold you to that. Jeff is allowing me, even though my family's not perfect, to teach this. Um, So thank you for allowing. You know, you learn a lot more by teaching, so I appreciate that opportunity. Um, So even though no family is perfect, every family has a purpose. And we at Still Meadow, we have all kinds of families, right? We we have um, singles. We've got single parents. We've got singles living with roommates. We've got um, parents who have no kids. We've got parents with two to six kids. We've got um, families like multi-generations living in households. We've got families with fur babies. We've got all kinds of families in our church. Um, But not one is perfect. But everyone has a purpose. At the beginning of this month, we invited you, um, I invited you to, to say, I commit to putting God at the center of my family. And you guys said yes. And then I handed out this um, family covenant. And we've made it available online at stillnaz.com slash household covenant. Really, our goal is for, for each of you to recognize that you, you only have a certain amount of time on this planet, and you have, a, have an influence that no one else has except for you. And so we looked at what our purpose was the very first week, which, you know, as God revealed the purpose to the people of Israel is that they would be a priesthood, an, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, So that they would set an example for the world to see who God was. In the second week, um, Pastor Chris talked about the idols that get in the way of us as living out that purpose that God has for us. And then last week, Pastor Rachel um, talked about how we as a household, how we can practice God's presence. If we're going to live out his purpose, we've got to focus on his presence. Today, I want us to think about the long arduous but good work of leaving a legacy. Your life, what God's doing in you, is actually not just for you. The Christian life, yes, we give our hearts to Jesus and he cleanses us of our sins and he preserves us um, for, for heaven. But our life isn't just about, salvation isn't just about saying that prayer so that we can go to heaven after we die. Salvation, what God is doing in us, is so that we can live a saved life now and so that others will be saved from the hell that we would bring if we didn't have Christ in our life. And so the question that we're wrestling with today is what kind of legacy are you leaving? What kind of legacy is your household 
leaving for the next generation. Because you are going to leave a legacy. People will remember the way you live. They will remember the pattern of your life. So I have a question, or a series of questions. Would you rather that the next generation care more about profit and earning than they do about compassion? Would you rather that the next generation be people who seek to please people rather than pleasing God? Would you rather that the, those coming after you would fear suffering or that they would fear God first? Would you rather that the church or that your family in the future of 2030 be happy or holy? In the scripture reading today, Deuteronomy chapter 34, I encourage you to turn there. We come to the end of Moses' life. I think this passage actually gives us a little snapshot of God's and Moses' relationship. And we can learn from this short passage about what it means to leave a legacy. So if you'll turn there, Deuteronomy 34. Some of you are younger and you're like, I don't really have much, many people who are younger than me um, to leave an influence on. The truth is, um, some of the most powerful testimonies in my life um, were of people who were young who chose the way of Christ even though it cost them their life, even in their teens. You are not too, ever too young to think about legacy, to think about the impact that your life can have. And you're also never too old to think about if you've not been intentionally leaving a legacy based on Christ, you're never too old to change directions. So would you stand for reading um, Deuteronomy 34? It goes like this. Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah from, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to him, that's the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And when I said, I'll give it to your descendants. Now, Moses, I've let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him, that's God buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes weren't weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is the word of God for us today. Can someone say thanks be to God? You may be seated. I love that hearty thanks back there. You can keep going throughout the message if you want. I like getting cheered on. When I preach, I feel like I'm receiving the word as much as I'm giving the word. And so when someone's like, amen, I'm like, we're receiving it together. So I love that. So if you feel compelled, go ahead. So Moses left a legacy. Part of that, the reason that Moses left a legacy is because he was gripped with a vision that God had given him. Right, The first time that Moses met God was at the burning bush in the wilderness. God called to Moses out of the bush, and Moses is like, what's up? And then God says, I want you to get my people out of the land of Egypt and bring them out into the wilderness to worship, and I want you to lead them. God gave Moses a vision and a task. And so Moses was gripped, and he did many mighty things because he was gripped with this vision. He had this understanding that his life had a greater purpose than his own. And so he left what was comfortable to do what was uncomfortable for the good of others because he was gripped by this vision. What about you? What about you? Do you in your own mind have this vision of what God has for you in your life? Did you know God wants to use your life for a greater purpose than just your own happiness? He wants to use you in such a way that he brings you beyond your comfort zone into him as your comfort zone so that your life benefits the lives of others. Moses' life was gripped with this vision that God had for him and God had for the people of God. This land was the promised land that God had spoken of to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God had made this promise like 400 years ago. Moses had never seen the land, but he knew that this land was the land that he was supposed to be bringing these people to. And God gifted him in his final moments before he died with an actual physical vision of this land that had only been an imaginary vision up to this point. God, in showing this vision, reminds Moses and us that he keeps his promises. It had been hundreds and hundreds of years and the people had wandered through the wilderness and they had been captive before, but God still kept his promise. His plan for the people would come true. We can trust him. We can trust him. So Moses was gripped with a vision, but not only was he gripped with this vision, he intentionally passed down the legacy, passed down the vision to Joshua When Moses discovered um, that he was not going to lead the people into the promised land, he says, God, who is going to do this? These people need a shepherd to be led like sheep into this promised land. Who is going to do this? If you want to read about this, Numbers 27 um, talks about it. God says, I want you to choose Joshua. I want you to lay your hands on him and bring him before Eleazar and the whole assembly of the people and pray for him. Anoint him, essentially, for, to take up this mantle of leadership, to carry on the legacy, to bring the people into the promise that I have. 
have for them. And so they did. Now, I'm not choosing this passage because my name is Joshua, but I think it's kind of cool to think about the people that have laid their hands on me and have influenced me to be the kind of person that I am. I would not be here today if it hadn't been people who had been like Moses coming alongside me. Because imagine if Moses, in this moment, had laid his hands on Joshua and then been like, peace out, buddy, you figure it out on your own. Right? No, he doesn't. Like, Mo, like Joshua is beside Moses throughout Moses' leadership. It was Joshua who was on the mountain when Moses received the Ten Commandments for the first time. Right? And like, just read um, Exodus and all the rest of the Pentateuch. You'll see Joshua is like at Moses' side. Now, we as a church, we do these things called like child dedications and child baptisms, like where we are intentionally saying, like as a family who brings their child to be baptized or to be dedicated, we're saying we want our child to know God and we want them to make God known and make an impact on this world. Imagine if at one of those child dedications, the mom um, and dad, they, they, they brought their little baby and they're like, we're dedicating you to the Lord. And then they just left. And they left the baby to figure it out on their own. No, that's not how it works. When we dedicate our children to the Lord, we're actually dedicating our lives to raising that child. And we want them to see the way we follow God and our lives to be an example for them to follow of what Jesus looks like. Moses did that with Joshua. Truth be told, there was no one like Moses. Who, like where would the people of Israel been without his leadership? He didn't lead like a hasty tyrant, a self-centered politician, or an absentee parent. No, his prophetic leadership was remarkable. Why? Because the Lord knew him face to face. He was intimate with God. This is, it's just really fascinating because right here it says the Lord knew Moses, not Moses knew the Lord. In a way, it's saying that like they were that kind of tight. They knew each other so intimately that in the text, God knew Moses. Like God knows everything, but God knows Moses. This is incredible. His prophetic leadership was possible. Why? Because he and God were relationally tight. He was able to perform the miracles because he paid attention to God's voice. He was able to live with power because he listened to God's instructions. And guess what? Even though no prophet ever, there was no, never a prophet like Moses, we do follow someone who is greater. Jesus. And as we follow him, we actually can have the influence, the kind of influence that Moses had. Look, jump ahead to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. And, and it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus is greater than Moses. Like Moses kind of helped the um, household of God get established, but but Jesus is the leader of the household of God. And who is the household of God but us, the church? Jesus is our leader. And it says here, if we fix our thoughts on him, that is the goal of our faith. And the truth is, what we fix our mind on changes the way we think. And if we can change the way we think, guess what else it affects? It affects the way we live. 
If we want the next generation to know the pattern and behavior of Jesus Christ, if we want them to know the gospel truth, we must fix our minds first. Take responsibility for our own lives. Put our minds on Him every day. As the Israelites looked forward to that promised land, we as Christians have something that we are looking forward to, like we're looking forward to Jesus bringing heaven to earth and restoring all things. But we as Christians actually believe that the kingdom of God has already come, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he has now started something new, the kingdom of God through the church. So as the Israelites looked forward to the promised land and then inherited it, we as Christians now are a part of the inheritance of the kingdom of God. So the way that God wants once the world to run actually is happening through us as the church. And so for us, as we think about legacy, we don't think about like economic success. We think about kingdom success. We orient our lives around what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus lived through the death and resurrection. We orient our thinking and our feeling and our living around his way. And so when we think about the next generation, we think we want them to know the redemption and restoration that Jesus brings. And we don't want just the next generation to know. We want the generation after them to know. Jesus to all generations is our rally cry. Do you want, do you want all generations to know the beauty of Jesus? Do you want them to experience the transformation that we sang about, like living in dark and then coming to light, feeling lost and now being found? Do you? Do you want your own household to experience his redemption? Do you want your neighborhoods to experience what only Christ can bring? Well, guess what? If we're going to pass the legacy, some things might need to change in you. Some patterns of behavior, some ways of talking, some ways of living and spending. And by the grace of God, guess what? They can. I do think that Paul in the letter to the Thessalonians actually gives us an example of how we can pass on the legacy. And so I want us to go ahead, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I think the way he describes his work there in Thessalonica is an incredible example. If we want to be people who orient our lives around the gospel of Jesus Christ and pass on the gospel to the next generation, Paul gives us a really great example. And why are we turning here? Well, I want you to know the church in Thessalonica was a group of people who had been transformed. They had been so transformed. They moved from idol worship to serving the living God. And that change was so radical that people beyond their community heard about their faith. It was a faith that burned like fire and rang like a bell. And so Paul was like, well, how did we get here? Let me tell you how we got there. Listen, do you want the next generation's faith to ring like a bell? Do you want it to burn like a fire so that the world will know? Let's pay attention to what Paul did here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
starting in verse 1. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. This, my friends, is where it begins. We must have courage to tell the gospel. We must care more that our children care about Christ than they do about our sports teams or our politicians? Do we spend more time talking about our Redeemer than we do about who should be in office? Paul had courage to tell the gospel, and it says, with God's help. Yes, there was resistance, but still he told the gospel story of Jesus coming to redeem all people, encouraging them to turn from idols to worship the living God. He dared to tell his gospel. What about you? Is telling the good news part of the regular pattern of your life? Next. Verse 3, it says, The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We, you know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God's our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Listen, the reason that Paul was telling the gospel over and over again is because he was living to please God, not looking for praise from people. I think many of us hit a wall on this one. We look for the affection from others and forget the affection that never fails is the one that's from above. And if we live as getting praise from other people as our primary motive, guess what? That is a well that will run dry. But the love of our Father endures forever. And so Paul recognized, he shifted his attention from getting um, praise and accolades from the world, instead living for affirmation and love from the Father. What about you? Are you oriented more to doing actions that will get you more attention and fame? The next generation is watching next generation is watching. Let's continue to read. Instead, we were like young children among you. Paul's approach to ministry was not pompous. To come like a child in this day was to come like someone who had no say. Dr. Seuss just comes out. <laughs> That's great. To come like a child was to come powerless. I, I, I debated, do I say be humble like a child or be powerless like a child? I think a lot of times when we talk about the things we care about, we don't talk with care. We, we talk more with judgment rather than tenderness, which is the next thing. Um, Let's continue. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. 
Paul is pulling in another family relationship, right? He's like, be like a kid. And now he's pulling on the strength of the feminine and in the mother. He like actually compares his ministry to that tender moment a mom shares with her child when her own body gives life to sustain the life of her child. He's like, we cared for you in that kind of way. To care like a mom is is to care tenderly and and gently. We're talking about Paul, who like knew how to argue people up and down, could prove anyone in his time wrong. But he says, I was among you like a tender mother. What about you? Is this an area that you need to grow in as you think about the influence that you have on others? Does tenderness need to increase? By God's grace, it can. We all, I think, remember those people who like really get us and really care for us. This moment of the intimacy that a mother and a child have, like that's when a, you know, a child feels held and gotten. Huh. Next, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. In some of the church communities that Paul went to, like um, the church actually funded his ministry. And so he was able to like teach every single day and not have to worry about providing for his own living expenses. In other churches, like here in Thessalonica, he actually worked as a tent maker, earning um, so he could pay for his food and lodging and things like that. But Paul did not allow his job to be a barrier to his ministry. He was delighted to share life with those who were with him. He saw his workplace actually as a place of ministry, as a place to live out the gospel. Do you delightfully share your life where you are? Do you see it not as a separate place from ministry, but as the place for the gospel to be lived out? I was dialoguing about this message with my father, and he put these notes in my sermon. He said that things are better caught than taught. My grandma Joan would say, little eyes take big pictures. My great-grandfather, Baltz, so my mom's grandfather, was a witness to my father. My dad grew up in a home of people of nominal faith, not really following Christ. So dad didn't know. But my dad saw in great-grandpa Baltz what it was like to follow God. He saw it while great-grandpa Baltz took him on boat trips, while he was fixing cars, while he was working. My dad caught the gospel by watching great-grandfather Baltz. And this is what was happening through Paul. They were catching the gospel by watching his life day in and day out. And that's what Jesus did when he walked and did life with his disciples. 
This is why we encourage people to get involved in children's ministry and youth ministry here. Because when you spend more time with people, they get to see and witness how you live. This is why we encourage you to get involved in a small group so you can spend more concentrated time and see how the gospel is being lived out among you. Share your life. Next. Verse 10, it says, You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, how righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. Paul wanted the people in Thessalonica to leave their lives of idolatry and be transformed by Christ's love. But Paul knew that his life must match his message. And if he is preaching about a holy Savior, he must live a holy life. Paul knew that there were enough hypocrites in the world then, just as there are today. He should not preach one thing and live another thing. And so he knew that his life had to be set apart as holy. Would you... Would God describe your life as holy? This might be the most important part of this whole section. Paul knew that souls were at stake, that lives were at stake. And so he gave his life and said, listen, I'm going to live holy, even if it means I have to give up some pleasures. I want these people to know the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, and so I'm going to live a blameless life so no one can accuse me of anything. I'm going to live so much like Christ. What about you? Every moment matters. As I was thinking through this and God was speaking to me, God was saying, Josh, I want you to watch the transitions in your life. I want you to watch the corners. Because it's in the transitions, I'll be honest, where I'm the least patient and most unkind. And so the Lord is saying, I want you to surrender those corners in your life. I want you to surrender the times between times so that you will always be ready to, to, to react like a child, a mother, and a father however you need to act in that moment. And so I'm growing in this too, friends. I want to be holy at every moment, not just when people are watching, but even when I'm caught off guard. What about you? That's how legacy is passed on. And finally, verse 11, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I encourage you, if you do have young people in your house or people that are growing in their faith, or maybe you just need to hear this yourself, God calls them into his kingdom and glory. His voice is beckoning them to come into relationship with him. And as a father encourages his child, Paul, encouraged these people. He knew they had a rough road ahead of them. He knew that, yes, um, this is good news, but it is a hard life to live. Yes, their example rang like a bell throughout the world, but in their own hometown, they faced resistance and opposition. Every generation faces opposition. What generation, or what's your generation facing? What's the next generation facing? We need the encouragement that Paul offered. Reminder that we are being called into the God's kingdom and glory. Let's think about this. Moses and Paul both show us what it looks like to leave a legacy. 
Joshua had the spirit of wisdom because Moses laid hands on him and then brought him along with him. The church in Thessalonica experienced transformation in Christ because Paul and his companions moved into their town and shared their transformed lives with them. If we want our world to be better, it doesn't start with our politicians. It starts with us. It starts with our families. It starts with our households. It starts with our church. Yes, no household is perfect, but every household has a purpose, and that purpose is to be redeemed and restored and by Jesus Christ and sent to serve the world. The legacy God wants us to leave for the next generation is one of generosity, compassion, peace, and unity, and sacrifice. Our purpose is not to have happy children or prosperous children, but to have holy children and Christ-centered children who serve the Lord and the world. Happiness and prosperity can be taken away, but holiness and Christ endure forever. And so we, as people of God, put our focus on those things that last. And even in the temporary moments that we are facing resistance and experiencing pain, we remember that we have a hope that endures forever, friends. And so we put our faith and we encourage our children and our families to put their faith in the thing that lasts and can never be taken away. Praise God. Truth is, Paul lived half of his life wasting his purpose. And then he spent the rest of his life investing in God's purpose for his life. He met Jesus Christ and he turned his life around. The church in Thessalonica experienced that transformation themselves when they watched Paul live. And then they turned their lives around too. I don't know where you are and what direction you've been heading, but perhaps you have not been intentionally living to leave a legacy that is based on Jesus Christ. You've been focused more on surviving and just getting by. I want to encourage you, as God worked in Paul's life, he can work in yours. As God left a legacy through Moses into Joshua and down through the generations, God longs to work through you. You may have messed up big time, but guess what? God's goodness is always bigger than your big time mess up. And so I encourage you. Turn your legacy over to him. Turn your future over to him. Trust him with the next generation. Repent of those things that are contrary to his way. Perhaps you've been arrogant. Perhaps you've been forceful. Perhaps you've not been holy. Perhaps you've been selfish and you've been living with yourself at center instead of Christ at center. Guess what? You can repent and God will redeem you and God will set you on a new path. And I encourage you to do that. We've, we gave you that household covenant. It's a really simple thing to go on the right path, to make sure that loving God is, in, is like an actual practice that you're doing in your life, that resting in Him and enjoying His presence is something that you do, that honoring each other in your household happens, and that serving your neighbors happens. I encourage you to use that as a framework as you're thinking about leaving a legacy in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you gave us your Son, you gave him as a gift to pay the price for our sins. You, you gave him as a gift to give us the power of resurrection. You gave him as a gift so we would have an example to follow. 
And with all of those things that work in us, then you give us to the world. Not to redeem the world, but to be a part of the redemption. Our lives have a sacred and holy purpose. God, forgive us for walking away from that purpose at times. Help us. Help us make your love the most important thing. We recognize that even as Paul declared the gospel, he did it because of, by your power and he did it because of your love. We cannot do this change alone. We need your power, Holy Spirit, in us. So God, help us be people who daily submit to you, who daily share the gospel. Help us be people who cut off our dependence on the approval of others and live for your affirmation. Help us be gentle like children and tender like mothers. Help us share our lives, share the corners and transitions with holiness. Help us encourage each other and the next generation as a father does. We can't do this without you, Jesus. We love you, and we want to see you in all generations. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Still Meadow Sermon Podcast. Again, please click over to our website, www.stillnaz.com. If you have a prayer request, you can go directly to stillnaz.com prayer. If you want to connect with people at Still Meadow, go to stillnaz.com slash connect. If you want to support Still Meadow Church of the Nazarene financially, go to stillnaz.com slash give. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be here again next week.